Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believes that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. No matter your background, we can agree that culture has a complex relationship with money and morality. While wealth is often celebrated, there is also a stigma attached to being perceived as greedy or materialistic. Ironically, we have never had such a strong culture of consumerism rife in society and the church. At a deeper, more personal level, we know that money has incredible power to form us, power for health and flourishing, as well as pain and destruction. We also know that many of us live in a reality of hardship and scarcity, especially in South Africa. Yet we believe that God has wisdom and freedom from all the trappings and anxieties associated with money, as well as guidance on how to view it in its appropriate place and allow it to be the gift and blessing it can be. In this God and Money series, we seek to explore the intent of God's views on these matters, knowing that the ways of God in all things can lead to flourishing, life, joy, and healing. Please continue listening for our next installment of our God and Money series. Good evening, church. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lizzie. Um, So we're actually focusing on verse 24 there, and I just wanted it to be read in context so that we could see how Jesus got to those words. We actually covered the first part of that text at the beginning of the year, Where's Your Treasure series. So if you wanna know what's going on there, go back to the Where's Your Treasure series and you can get it there. But we're focusing on 24 as we continue our money series. But before we do that, just uh, my name is Ian. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And for the rest of us, wow, that is an amazing moment that we just witnessed. I never want to take it for granted. The, the, it's the evidence of God and His Spirit and His Word at work in our community and the lives of people. And so we just, I, I love baptisms. They just get me going. And there's just such a sweet spot of life that we're experiencing. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, that's me just getting it out of my system. Okay. Now, we are in a money series, and Riggs um, kicked that off for us last week, looking at money and the four things that God has for us, and the reality that God has some stuff for us. He's not just one stuff from us when we talk about these things. And we do think that speaking about money is important, and we live in a culture where it can cause this question to rise up in our hearts, this question of, do I have enough? And then as I, I said last week, is, is that, that question, when you couple it with governments and economies and ESCOM, things out of our control, power, it can cause fear and anxiety to rise up alongside that question. And we go, what does it mean to have enough? Will I ever have enough? 
And what does it mean that I'm actually so in so little control over having enough? And it can be a fear-inducing, anxiety-inducing space. And, and as someone who's a pastor and pastored people, I know that money can be a really sticky subject for people. And money's quite a private thing for us. When you, when you, it's not something that we walk around going, hey, this is what I earn and this is how I spend my money. We tend to keep that close to our hearts. And we don't like to share the details of our financial status and where we spend our money. And then we also know that church, the, the global church throughout history hasn't always handled money well and hasn't always made its priority Jesus, but has sometimes made its priority gathering wealth. And, and there might be some people here, maybe because of baptisms, you're in church for the first time after a long time, and there might be a bit of a cynicism in your heart. Oh, here we go, the church talking about money. I knew the one time I came, it would be money, and here we go. And... Um, no, it wasn't planned, it just happened, I promise. Come next week and you'll see. Uh, we're still talking about money. Come in, come, <laughs> come in three weeks and you'll see. We don't just talk about money. We're only spending four weeks in money. But it is a sticky subject. And there's some real reason for, for cynicism. And, and the reason that I think it can get so sticky, we, we love to get into the nitty gritty details. How much should I spend? How much shouldn't I spend? How much should I save? Should we invest? Shouldn't we invest? Well, how do we make sense of the incredible disparity between the rich and the poor in a country like ours? And what do we do with inheritance? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Should we seek to have an inheritance and a legacy through it? Should we receive an inheritance? We can get into these nitty gritty details of the conversation and, and we can find ourselves disagreeing quite a bit on how, these things should be, how money should be managed and stewarded and what we should do with it and what we shouldn't do with it. And it can get quite heated and it can get quite sticky. And the reason that I think it can get quite sticky is because I think we're starting the conversation in the wrong place. We're starting the conversation at the nitty gritty details. But actually, and, and, and in all these God and series, last year we did God and sexuality, this year we're doing God and money, where we wanna start these series is going, it, we had an analogy that's super helpful. So life can feel like um, it's throwing stuff at you and these experiences come your way and they're kind of like puzzle pieces. And these subjective experiences of these puzzle pieces, we can try to hold our experience of life and go, how do these puzzle pieces fit together and how do I make sense of them? And in so many areas in life, we have these experiences. We hold subjective puzzle pieces even when it comes to money. Some of us grew up really wealthy and without wants. Some of us grew up poor and with massive wants. Some of us have lived life and made lots of money. Some of us have lived life and tried to make money and haven't. Some of us have lived life, made money and lost money. Some of us have struggled financially throughout life. Some of us have been okay. And we bring all these experiences of life to the conversation. And when we start the conversation at these nitty gritty details, we bring that stuff and we can't quite find each other. And actually what we wanna do in these series is point to the reality that, that we're starting the conversation at the wrong place. And what we should be asking is not necessarily how we should spend our money and steward it, but how do we make sense of our puzzle pieces? Where's the puzzle box? Where's the lid of the box? What picture do we bring our puzzle pieces to to help us make sense of them and, and find out where they fit and how they should be shaped? And for those of us who are Christ followers, we believe that the puzzle box is the person of Jesus. We believe his words when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And that the truest thing in this world, the, mo the greatest reality in the universe is the person of Jesus. 
and that we should bring our pieces to him to make sense of them. It's our worldview. It's what we believe to be true about the world. Now, you might be here with a different worldview. You might be here going, I don't use that puzzle box. I use a different puzzle box. And worldview is simply answering three big questions, essentially. Is there a God? And how you answer that question, yes or no, will mean you're, you're on very different puzzle boxes. You're making sense of life in very different ways. And if you answer that question, yes, there is a God, the next question you need to answer is, well, who is he? Can I know him? And as Christ followers, we would say, yes, we can know him. And then the third question to answer, if you said yes to that is, what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to make sense of life and light of him? What does it mean to bring the puzzle pieces to him? And if you're a bit jaded and cynical around money and the church, I would say your starting point is not to deal with money and the church's view on money. Your starting point is to go to the person of Jesus and see who he says he is and what he's about to investigate the puzzle box that we bring everything up against, which is what we're trying to do in this series, specifically on the topic of money. And as we come to the, the, the words of Jesus, freshly tonight when he speaks about money, we're bringing all our puzzle box pieces in our experiences of money to him and saying, would you shape us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us as a community? And as we do that, we're gonna see Jesus say some things about money He's gonna show us the intent of money, the cost of money, and the blindness of money. That's where we're going this evening. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive into the text. Father, I pray and ask that as we come freshly to your word, to your gathered community, and to your spirit, that you would speak to us. We know that you are a living God, powerfully at work in, the li- in our lives and the life of this community. And Father, we know that true life is found in you. So Father, would you open our eyes to who you are, your beauty, your value in fresh ways tonight? And would you cause that to speak to us in every area of our life, including the way in which we steward our money? God, we are open to whatever work it is you wanna do in us this evening. Amen. Okay, let's look at that first one. The intent of money. So many of you would have come to this series and gone, I know what Ian's gonna say. He's gonna say that money can't bring you happiness. Money can't buy you happiness. I'm just seeing, are there any nodding heads? Like I'm in church, I have to agree with that. That's, that's what we think. Money can't buy you happiness. Here's the thing, I don't believe that statement. <laughs> and I don't think many of us actually believe that statement that money can't buy you happiness. In fact, I think money can. I think money has has a lot of power to buy happiness and open doors to all the things that make us happy. And if I'm honest, I think we live in a culture that's long beyond believing that phrase that money can't buy you happiness. Our culture fully and completely believes that money opens the door to a whole bunch of happiness in our lives, to all the things that our heart desires. I love this joke, I use it often. (laughs) Money can't buy you happiness, but it's much better to cry in a Mercedes than on a bicycle. (laughs) And we believe that, don't we? We're like, "Ah, okay, I'll I'll hold on to the phrase, but actually we all know. And I don't wanna lose any of you tonight where you walk out and you see all the shiny things afforded to you, you're like, that guy has no idea what he's talking about. And I would actually say, no, money can buy us happiness. 
And our culture knows that there is a good life to be found in amassing wealth and spending it on things that our heart desires. And here's the thing is that Jesus himself doesn't say that money can't buy happiness. Jesus himself knows that there is a profound power in money and that there is a compelling version of the good life that money offers us that is so powerful that it can form us, it can shape us, and ultimately it can control us. Jesus is not naive to the power of money and what it is that it can buy for us and the good life it offers us. Which is why Jesus in Matthew 6 says these words. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's going, I am so aware of the power of money. I'm gonna speak quite strongly to the reality of money. And in some ways he actually personifies money. He makes it a person that has an intent for our lives. And that intent is to master us, to control us, to gain our hearts, to win our affection for us to give our devotion to it, to learn to love it and give ourselves fully and completely to it. That's a profound forming power. And Jesus is not naive and Jesus is not simplistic in his view of money. He knows that there is a compelling good life that speaks to our hearts in a profoundly powerful way. And our culture knows this. And our culture has lent into this. And our culture every single day is telling us of the good life that is to be found in money, wealth, and riches. In fact, our culture would go further in in consumerism where we've landed is that actually, with enough money, enough wealth, you can build your own kingdom. You can find your own identity. You can grow in status. You can find comforts. You can find security you can even probably find some form of meaning. You can build a kingdom for yourself. You can build the good life. And our culture is not neutral. It's selling this idea and this belief to us every single day. If you don't believe me, I have this moment where with Layla, I started at the beginning of the year and and about week one, what we would do is I would get down when I'd drop her off at school and I would go, Kruger's R. And the first thing on the list is loved. And then there are kind of three values that we as Krugers hold to. Krugers are, and then we fist pump after we've said our values. Loved and her. And Leila then runs into her class all excited. We did this for about a week. And then after, uh, it was near the end of the week, I dropped her off and I was walking down the passage and I got a notification on WhatsApp and I did what I do when I get notifications on WhatsApp. I picked up my phone, I ignored the notification, I went onto Instagram. Um, that's why I never reply to people. <laughs> 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 There's the real reason. And I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling through Instagram and this advert comes up. It's a t-shirt that says, it's a Kruger thing. You wouldn't understand. I was like, that's amazing. They put my name on their advert to everybody. And now I realized, oh no, wait. They've taken my name and superimposed it on a t-shirt. They're literally selling back my own identity to me on a t-shirt. I love that t-shirt. I think we should all buy those t-shirts. It's a Kruger thing. Okay, I'm I'm joking. 
And um, our culture is not neutral. And our phones are listening. You can't tell me it's not. (laughs) And it's trying to cause us to believe this lie that we can find an identity, status, comfort, kingdom of our own, the good life with money. And Jesus is, is super strong. He's, he's binary. He's mutually exclusive in the way that he speaks of money, about money. He says, because money has an intent for your life to master you, you can't serve both God and money. Jesus is warning us that money is not content to be a servant and a tool towards the purposes of God. It wants to grow from that place into a place where it masters us controls us, has our love and our affection. See, what's at stake is our hearts. Money wants our heart. And the reason that you can't serve two masters is because you only have one heart and you will give it to one and you will despise the other. And who we choose to follow will have a profound impact on who we become, whether we're mastered by money or mastered by Jesus. And here's the reality, who we choose to follow in this moment or in the moments of our life have profoundly different costs to them. And I love how honest Jesus is about the cost of following him And he's about to expose how money has a cost to it, but it's a bit more hidden. And he tells us what the cost of money actually is, that money has a cost. In Mark 8, he's speaking to a crowd and to a bunch of people who would follow him. And Jesus says this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what Jesus is getting here is this crowd stands before him and he calls them to the reality of what it means to follow them is he's saying that there are two stories being told and I've already touched on the story of our culture. There is this belief that with money and wealth and things, you can gain the entire world and it will cost you nothing. That it will open the doors to every desire, everything you love, and it will give you the good life. And if our eyes are set on this world and if we only have a vision for our lives this side of eternity, this story is incredibly compelling. I'm gonna be honest, it grabs my heart often. If we look around at the nice cars and homes, amazing holidays and clothing and all the cool things you can buy on Shen for absolutely ridiculously cheap prices, And then you take that stuff and you put it through the filter of Instagram and it gets curated and everybody puts the best versions of the good life that they're living and you find yourself scrolling through this and you see all these options of the good life and you can start to feel your heart going, that looks amazing. That is compelling. That's speaking to me. I want that. These versions of the good life are incredibly compelling. 
On Thursday, I finished writing up the manuscript for this um, message. And I was really struggling. I've been struggling on this message. And I couldn't figure out why I was struggling so much. I was really struggling. So I went to Bootlegger, which is like my safe space when I'm struggling. And I sat down. I said, I'm not getting up until this is done. You're not allowed to go there. It's my safe space. <laughs> okay. My space. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and there I am. And I'm, I finally get through my manuscript. I'm like, yes, I'm done. And I'm parked at Cavendish. I'm like feeling the freedom of being done with this difficult message. And I walk into Cavendish and I'm walking up to the parking lot and I see Apple and I'm like, ooh, shiny. And I walk into Apple and I look and there the, the new AirPod Pros with advanced noise cancelling. And I'm like, now these would help me. If I could listen to music while writing my sermons and bootleggers with active noise cancellation, it would be so much easier. God, surely this is what you've got for me. And then you start working out. I'm like, well, if Nathan doesn't go to school this year, then I might be able to make this work. I mean, he's only two and a half. What do they actually even do there? And, you start, and I was like, oh. and then Lars spoke sense to me and I walked away. It took me about three hours to realize the irony of the message I just struggled to write and where I'd gone for comfort. And that's why it was so hard. I wasn't just grappling with a message, I was grappling with my own heart. These things get us. We believe them. And Apple is shiny. I find it really shiny. And it's a compelling version of the good life. And here's the thing is, as we look at these versions of the good life, if we're not achieving them, it can feel like our life is slipping away, like we're losing our life, which is what Jesus is saying. And even when you have versions of the good life, you can find yourself looking at other people's versions of the good life and being so dissatisfied that it feels like your life is slipping away. And the reason it feels this way, and the reason that these versions of the good life are so compelling is because they're true. Because they're true. If this world is all there is. If this world is all there is, and this world is the only world we're living for, then that is the best version of happiness and joy that there is to be found. And we should give ourselves fully and completely to trying to get the best good life we can. If this world is all there is which is why Jesus stepped into human history. Jesus steps into human history and stands before this crowd and says to them, there's another story. You're being told one story about where the good life is found, but there's another story about where the good life is found. And you're not gonna, you would never have heard that story if I hadn't stepped into human history. And you would never have been able to respond to the story if I hadn't stepped into human history. And as Jesus starts to tell this story, I love how honest he is. I love how honest he is. There's no slick sales pitch here. As Jesus stands before this crowd, this is what he says. You know what, if you would follow me, if you would come after me, what it's gonna look like is denying yourself and picking up a cross because you're following a man who is denying himself 
picking up his cross. You're following a man who's going to a cross. So at times in life when you follow me, it's gonna feel like you're picking up a cross and it's gonna cost you denying yourself. And you know what? When you follow me in this life, at times it's gonna feel like you're giving up your life, that it's slipping away from you. That's what it means to follow me. It's gonna feel at times like you've thrown away the good life. But actually the story Jesus is telling is that for everyone who chooses to follow me, you're gaining life. You see, this text is not primarily about Jesus saying, deny yourself. This text is primarily about Jesus saying where we find the good life and how the good life is found in him. But he's honest on the front end of what it's gonna feel like to follow him in this life and in this world. But what he's offering these people is he's saying, I'm being so honest with you. I want you to know where true life is found. And the reason that this is so hard to see, the reason that I needed to step into human history and tell you this other story is because there is a creator God and he created all things good. And everything that he created, he gave to us for our enjoyment and his glory. And that he, as he created, he expected that we would walk in the wonderful relationship with him, enjoying him and enjoying all the things that he freely and generously gives us in creation. And into that story stepped a a person with a lie who said that it can get better than this. All you have to do is walk away from your father and build your own kingdom. With money and things and created things, you can build a kingdom for yourself that will make you like God. You don't need God. And ever since that lie, we've been believing that lie. And we've had thousands of years of perfecting that lie into Instagram adverts that put your name on a t-shirt. And because of that lie, we found ourselves separated from the Father. Because of the lie that we could find kingdoms and identity and security apart from the Father, we found ourselves without a kingdom, identity, or security. Which is why we have such deep longing in our heart. And when Jesus says, hey, if you try to save your life in this life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life in this life, you'll gain it. He's saying, true life is found in me. And what you've actually done, the true cost of believing the lie is that you gave up your soul for trinkets. You gave up your soul for iPhones and homes and cars and holidays and clothing. Trinkets compared to the value of your soul. Trinkets compared to the value of being in relationship with the Father. That's what it costs you. Relationship with the Father and your souls. And Jesus, as he steps into human history, says, this world is not all there is. And so you might be able to build a kingdom for yourself, but the king will return and he will reveal every false kingdom against his true kingdom. And Jesus stands before that crowd saying, 
but I've come on a mission. I've come to go to a cross. I have emptied myself of the riches and the glory of heaven and I've willingly chosen to lay down that of greatest value, my own life. And the Father willingly releases the Son, the person of greatest value to Him, the thing in the universe of greatest value, to a cross. And that of great value is laid down on a cross to purchase back what we sold for trinkets, our souls, so that we could again be in relationship with the Father. And Jesus freely and joyfully lays down his life. And he now stands in victory as a resurrected king over all things. And anyone who believes in him and his finished work can step through Jesus, his grace, by faith, back into relationship with the Father. If we can see who he truly is and what he has done. And as Jesus stands before these people, what he's actually saying is, whose story will you believe? The story of culture or the story of Jesus? And you see, this is not an issue of who is rich and who is poor. And we can make it that. We go, oh, well, then everyone who's rich is ungodly and everyone who's poor is, or vice versa. People do it both ways. It's not about that. We know that you have the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. You have the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor in the grace of God. It is those who know him. Look at 1 Timothy, what 1 Timothy 6 says. But those who desire to be rich, not those who are rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You see what, what, what Paul is saying to Timothy is that this is a faith issue. Do you love money? Do you desire to be rich? Have you got cravings for these things? What he's saying is, where is your hope? Where is your trust? What are you believing in? Money or Jesus? Who has your heart? Who has your trust? That's what's going on here. C.S. Lewis says, he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Are we satisfied in all that we have in Jesus? He laid down his life to purchase back our souls and to offer us all the fullness of the Father for all eternity. Do we see what that is worth? I've got a story of a, uh, unfolded in the last three weeks of a young guy and this younger guy in this community. And he's been working hard at a job for a good few years now, really working hard and being diligent in that space. And he was offered an opportunity for a, a, a promotion and an increase in salary, and not just a small one, a large increase in salary, a significant increase. 
And um, he was grappling with this because it came with a condition that he would need to move to Dubai, the land of consumerism. And he, um, he grappled and he came to me and he was chatting to us. He, he actually processed so well. He processed with many people. I was one of the, Lana were one of the people. And it just was this moment of him going, what do I do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough decision. That literally was I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. See, the reality is God can call you somewhere and use your workplace and your job opportunities as a way of calling you there. Or it could just be money calling you somewhere, knowing that in that place, it's gonna be your master. I don't know which one it is. Only you can go before Jesus and do the work of the heart and ask the question, who's mastering my heart in this moment of decision? And a little while later, he messaged back. And we, we chatted a bit, so I got a sense of, of what he was grappling with. And then he messaged back a little bit later and said, I've turned the job down. I've turned the job down. I knew when I was, I didn't know he was gonna do that, but when I was chatting to him, he was thinking the right thoughts. Who would I become if I went to Dubai, isolated from community, away from friends and family? What would I look like in three years and five years time? Who would I become? Who's my master in this decision? Now that's not the story of everybody, but what we can learn from the story is we've got to ask ourselves the question, who's the master of my decisions? Who's the master of my heart? Is it money or is it Jesus? And can I genuinely say in the choices that I make that I'm making my choices in light of who Jesus is? And we have a lot of students here. And I think there are a lot of things that you can study and there are a lot of reasons to study and a lot of good reasons to study things. But I can tell you now that one of the most destructive decisions you can make for your life at this age is to allow money to master you and that be the guiding force behind every decision you make about what you're gonna study and why you're gonna study it. I've seen that play out for a Christ follower. Why, and this speaks to everybody, why are you making the choices that you make? Is it because Jesus is your master or because money is your master? The question is, who do you really love? And this is a hard question to answer. Who do you really love? Because there is a blindness that money brings over us. And I wanna show us two examples from the scriptures of two people who had riches, who encountered Jesus and how they responded so differently and show how powerful money can be to blind us. The first one is the rich young ruler, Matthew 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, Give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come, follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We could preach a message on this text alone, but I just wanna show quickly how money can blind us from this interaction between this rich young ruler and Jesus. And the rich young ruler, he is a man who's respected. He is a man who knows his scriptures. He is a man who's trying to follow God. And he comes to this person, he comes to the person of Jesus and he's asking a simple question. Do I have eternal life? Have I done enough to have eternal life? And what's happening is as this man moves towards Jesus with that question, Jesus knows that what's going on in this moment is actually a battle for this man's heart. So Jesus goes straight for his heart and he asks the questions. He goes straight for the idol of this man's heart. He goes straight for the thing that is mastering this man's heart because he knows that this is his moment to contend for this person's heart before him. And he starts asking these questions that reveal the thinking behind this rich young man and what's actually going on in his heart. And it's exposed quite quickly that this man loves and is mastered by money. And you can see what he's doing. He's incredibly legalistic in what he's doing. And legalism is simply trying to control God, be perfect before God in our own ability, in our own strength, by our own record. And this man is coming to Jesus going, is my record good enough? Have I done enough to get eternal life from you? And what that reveals about this man's heart is that he doesn't want the Father. He wants the things of the Father. He wants all the beautiful created things that his wealth affords him, but he also wants eternal life. And because he's mastered by money and it's something that he doesn't wanna give up, he's left with one option and one option alone, to try and control God. If I achieve a perfect record before the Father, he has to give me eternal life. He's trying to manage and control God because he doesn't want to let go of his possessions. And as he stands before Jesus, because of this reality, he is blind to who's before him. He's blind to what it is that Jesus is offering him. We often sing songs around the goodness of God and how God comes after us. This is not a moment of God going or Jesus going after this man's money. This is a moment of Jesus going after this man's heart. And this is what it can feel like sometimes when God comes after us. It is a real grapple. And Jesus goes straight to the heart and he exposes immediately what it is that truly um, masters us, not because he wants our money, but because he loves us enough to go there. And he says to this man, Follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. And this man can't see the beauty and the value of the fullness of God for all eternity. And he says no to it. For trinkets and earthly wealth. And in other accounts of the gospel, it says as this man walks away, Jesus is deeply sad. You cannot serve both God and money. Probably the words going through his mind as this man walked away. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. For those of us who are Christ followers in the, this room, this is challenging 
Because so often, as I pastor people, I know I do this in my life, we wanna get into the technical details of how much must I give, how much must I save, what can I do with my money, what does good stewardship look like? And listen, the Bible is clear that we should steward our money well and wisely. But what we need to do is bring our hearts before Jesus and go, is my desire to have the answers to these things a legalism in my heart that's trying to be mastered by money and control you? I just get this right. What percentage? And if I pay that percentage to the poor, then I'm done. I'm good with God. My prayer as I've prepped and as I've moved towards this is that not Jesus take our money. Jesus show us how little value there is in money. That hasn't been my prayer. My prayer is Jesus, would you lift the blindness that so easily comes over us that prevents us from seeing your beauty, your value and what it is you're truly offering us so that we never trade that for anything less. We have another example of a man who encounters Jesus who himself was rich, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and this is where we'll land. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This amazing encounter. Another man mastered by money and shameless about it. I love how shameless Zacchaeus is about his love for money. He's like, no, guys, come on. The good life is found in wealth and and riches. So much so do I believe this that I'm gonna defraud my own people and become a tax collector. And yes, I don't care that they're gonna despise me. I'm gonna be living the good life. I'm gonna be incredibly rich and it's their fault for not catching on sooner and I just got there first. There's like a shamelessness going on here. He's just, I will defraud my own people for this good life. I believe this but also love that there's such sincerity and honesty about him as he climbs a tree to see Jesus and as he joyfully invites Jesus into his home. It's like, this is, this is what I believe to be true. I think there may be many people in this room investigating, or some people in this room investigating the claims of Christ, and you're like, no, I wholly and completely believe the story of culture, that the good life is found in amassing as much wealth, status, and power as possible. And your honesty in that is actually okay. (laughs) And your starting point is actually not trying to have discussions around money. Your starting point is actually having lunch with Jesus, getting to know him, understanding who he is and what he said and what he's come to do. Get to know the person of Jesus. 
if you're here investigating the claims of Jesus. But for those of us who are Christ followers, it's incredible to see that what happens is there is this man who has his hands clenched around money, kind of like our picture there, God and money. His hands are clenched around money. This is where I find my good life. And he has lunch with Jesus. And the words of Jesus and the Spirit of God works in him in such a way that suddenly he just lets it all go. And he lays hold of Jesus. Here's a man who saw the value of what stood before him. I see it. He is who he says he is. He's done what he says he does, has done. And what he offers is far more glorious than anything that I can hold on to in this life. And he responds to the person of Jesus. See, as God gets his heart, which is what Jesus was after, his hands just open up. Andrew Wilson has an amazing analogy for this. I've used it before. But we have things that we clench onto, there are things that we hold onto, things that we think are so precious and beautiful and they're just not worth letting go of. And Jesus comes to us with a precious, priceless bowl in his crystal bowl in his hand, worth more than anything we could hold. The kingdom of God, being adopted as sons and daughters, the riches of heaven for all eternity. And he comes to us and he says, here, it's yours. And he throws it at us. And all we have to do is let go of what's in our hands to lay hold of what he's offering us. And Zacchaeus does that in this moment. Which is why for those of us who are Christ followers, how we steward our money is not just about being countercultural. How we steward our money says something about the God we claim to serve. His value, his worth, his beauty, his kingdom. Richard Havelson says this, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scriptures, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. The way in which we choose to spend our money, steward our money, either declares that Jesus is the most beautiful and valuable thing in this world, and we're not living for this life, but the life to come, or it shows that we are truly mastered by it because we cannot both serve God and money. Let me try and pull this all together. I'm gonna to ask the band to join me up here. Money has the power to blind us to the value of Jesus. And if it becomes our master, it will form us into a kind of person that lives for this life and this life alone. Whereas if we surrender ourselves to Jesus, follow him, it may feel at times like we're losing our life and giving up the good life. But what we'll find is we've laid hold of life that is true and real and everlasting in the person of Jesus. Let's stand and we're gonna respond in song. I know we've run a bit late for all the right reasons of baptisms.
But this is a challenging message. <laughs> and I think a response song is a good way to land this message. And I felt like there's so many caveats that I could have done. And as I was prepping and prepping, I felt Jesus saying to me, no, I love them too much. I love them too much. I'm coming after hearts this evening. I love them and I want them to know that money has an intent for their lives and what it offers comes at a great cost. And I want them to see my value, surrender their hearts to me and come alive in ways that they've never come alive and receive life and life to the full. Two groups of people. I think there's a group of us who may be on the precipice of going, I don't believe the good, that the good life is found in Jesus. That's too hard. I believe the good life is found there. And I feel like Jesus would stand before you like the rich young ruler and say, follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. And I pray that the Holy Spirit in this moment would open your eyes to the value of Jesus freshly. Another group of people I felt that God just wanted to encourage, that you know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, that you know that there's life to be found in Him. But you look around at all the versions of the good life on here and you wonder, it feels like my life is slipping away from me. Have I chosen well? And I feel like Jesus would say to anyone in that space, you have chosen best. You have chosen well. And He would probably call you freshly to contentment and all that there is in Him. I don't know how you need to respond tonight. But pray the prayer you need to pray and bring your heart before Jesus as we sing this last song.